Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Caregiver Dave Celebrity Segment. And I'm excited to welcome the program, Caregiver Dave. Dave, how are you? I like you. you um, know, we just continue to have interesting guests. But when I read this guy's accolades, I was absolutely blown away. And, I mean, I know the song that we're going to be talking about, but we're going to be talking about much more. So go ahead and introduce our guest. DJ, <laughs> my gosh, I grew up with this guy. 70 million albums worldwide, five-time Grammy, Grammy Hall of Fame. I mean, I can go on and on. But uh, let me just introduce B.J. Thomas. Welcome hey. to the show. Hey, thank how you, you doing? Glad, glad to be you, here. Uh, thank you for the memories. Thank you for everything. What? Who, just who is B.J. Thomas? Uh, and why were you put on this earth, do you feel like? I mean, that, that seems like a dumb question because we all know the answer. But I want to hear you say it. Well, yeah, you know, I always, uh, uh, I always had the, the the desire to sing, and ever since I was like a tyke, a little, a little guy. But who I am is just a, I'm just a guy like you, and I'm a husband and a, and a father, and that's what I was put here for. But there's a lot, there's a lot of me in my music now after all these years. So uh, that's just something I always had a had a burning desire to do, and. Uh, it not, even even when I got in my first, we we formed our first band. Uh, you know, it, I had never really even thought through the fact that I was going to have to get up in front of maybe a, a lot of people and sing, and uh, <laughs> so I, I never even thought about that. And maybe I was just in denial. But that first that first gig when I went out and there were all these people, I I had to start thinking about it and learning how to do it. You know. Did you always think, BJ, that that when you when you you were going to be this famous? No, you know we had the band together. We uh, because we admired a, a band called the Traits, Roy Head and the Traits, and we wanted to have a band like them. So we got the band together in '58, and we just dreamed that hey, maybe one day we'll have a hit record. But you know, we knew we would never. You know, we knew we weren't going to ever have a hit record. That it, but, but it was just a dream, and. Uh, Sure enough, uh, after a certain number of years, we did. Uh, I had my first hit in the '65, and uh, um, I went out. Went out on the road. My first gig was with James Brown. Um, uh, I went out and wow. toured with James, James Brown for a couple of weeks because they thought I was a they thought I was a black singer. They thought I was an R&B singer, and which was <laughs> great with me because they, those guys were my heroes: Ray Charles and Bobby Bland and. Jackie Wilson and those guys. So uh, anyway, I worked with most of the most of the great R and B singers for about three or four years, and then you know eventually ended up with Dick Clark and, and kind of got my identity straight. You know. <laughs> so what was your first hit? Uh, it was a, a, a Hank Williams song. I'm so lonesome I could cry. It was a million seller for me in uh, 1966. So yeah. 
So, I just so did it with, hmm? you know, you're probably the most well-known for raindrops keep falling on my head because of the movie. How did that come about? Yeah, well, you know, I was recording in Memphis, <clears throat> Tennessee, and I was doing good in Memphis. I was making hit, some hit records, and I just recorded Hooked on a Feeling, and that, that was a big record for me. And uh, the, the, the label came to me and, and uh, said, BJ, with you and Gloria, I just, we just got married. Uh, uh, they said, "Would you and Gloria move move to New York City?" And uh, uh, she said, "If you'll move up to to New York, uh, I think I can get you a session and a song with the Burt Backrack and Hal David." Wow. So you know that sounded really good to me, and so I uh, we moved up, and I started kind of uh, you know going by uh, Mr. Backrack's apartment once or twice a week, and we would uh, you know look at songs and. Uh, and go over songs and then uh, you know before in just a couple of months uh the you know the butch cassidy thing mm -hmm. came up the bicycle scene and uh you know he gave me a shot to do it and uh you know wow uh so, so where'd the song come from did you already have it or did somebody write it for you or was it yeah it no just uh, uh, bert Backrack composed the music and he was doing the soundtrack and the score <laughs> for uh, butch cassidy and the sundance kid and uh, he had had an idea. He just kept thinking raindrops. And so Hal David was the guy that wrote the lyrics. And he's a guy that just wrote from his heart. And anyway, he took the took the raindrops and wrote the song. And of course, they put it with the with the bicycle scene and Paul Newman and Catherine Ross riding the bicycle as a as Butch Cassidy. And uh, you know, it just uh, it was a beautiful thing. I went I went out to California. We did the thing to the bicycle scene. And then uh, we redid, we recut the song about six weeks later, and that became the number one, number one record. Wow! Do you so, write your own songs? You know, I I write very little. That's probably the big shortcoming in my uh, in my career, and probably the reason I've been kind of quiet for the last few years is I I don't write like I should. But I am at the moment at this right now. I'm I'm writing. And uh, you know, trying to come up with some stuff. I had a session in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, on the fifteenth of this month, and I had to, of course, wow. postpone that and set it back a little bit. But yeah, that's uh, it's motivated me to to write. But I haven't written that much over my career. So let's talk a little bit more about the song with raindrops <clears throat> falling on my head. What is the premise for it in the way based on the movie? But kind of explain more of uh, the thought process of what it's trying to tell the story. Well, you know, in the in the movie, of course, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid are, are outlaws, and they're always being chased by the Pinkerton uh, people, <laughs> and uh, they hook up with in uh, New York City with Etta Chase, who was uh, um, she was a woman, I guess both of them uh, were in love with, and at the time of uh, the Raindrops song, they are not being chased, and they found a farmhouse and a place where they can have a little peace. And not be on the run. And uh, Butch Cassidy is uh, giving Etta Chase a ride on a bicycle, and the, and uh, the song uh, "Raindrops" plays, and it's uh, it's about it's about the hey, the rain may fall on your head, and uh, it's going to fall mm -hmm. on everyone's head. But if you're free, uh, you, you don't have that big a worry, you know. So that's basically what it was about. And then, of course, Backrack and David, they kind of created that whole scenario where. Uh, of, of, the, of the great movie songs. Of course, there was Mancini and other people, but Backrack and David 
I think made it uh, made it a situation where there were really some great songs in the movies, and not just something worded about the characters. You know. Wow, what luck, or or maybe you were just blessed being in the right place at the right time. Yeah, I kind of was. I was with Scepter Records, and and uh, uh, Mr. Backrack was a big part of Scepter Records. He was part owner, and uh, their mainstay artist was a uh, Dion Warwick. And uh, of course, Backrack and David wrote and produced most of her classic hit records. And uh, you know, I had seen him at, at the office in New York, and I saw how cool he was and how handsome and charming. And I thought I was just always in awe of this guy. And uh, and so to get to work with him was um, was incredible. And it, it had a lot of iffy moments. Uh, everything turned out perfect with Raindrops, even, even though I had a, an acute case of laryngitis when uh, we recorded the bicycle scene, and I barely was able to sing it. Like I think we <laughs> sang it through four or five times. Uh, but Bert, uh, he never mentioned my throat. Uh, that I did, he, he liked the way it sounded, so it worked out pretty good. <laughs> now, interesting, DJ, when you talk about, you know, the song, but you had five Grammys, so your fans, talk a little bit about, I mean, the five Grammys, how awesome it was. So it's not just, you're not just a one-hit wonder. Just bringing this up for people that, you know, yeah. that are young, because I, I have a young hip audience, different things, not just, you know, yeah. oh, and, that, that kind of question really wants to come out. It's like, you know. Yeah. And, you know, I'm one of those artists. Uh, I'm not I'm not the kind of guy who's always looking for the spotlight. I don't I'm not trying to be the number one guy in the world. Um, I love to do music, but, uh, you know, just chasing the fame and always, you know, being chasing that thing was something I I got tired of years ago, and we, I semi-retired in 1976, and uh, cut my schedule way back. And we, of course, we had we had three kids. We had two kids after that, and uh, you know that my family has been um, you know my essence. But uh, I've had a lot of hit records. Uh, um, I've been very lucky with that. And then uh, coming out of my kind of semi-retirement period uh i cut a gospel album and i had been uh for years i had had dr uh, drug and alcohol problems and uh uh so when I, we stopped working it was that had, that was a big reason why and uh during that that time off i kind of came to my senses and i got i, I woke up and and uh um, anyway, I made a I made a gospel record, and it became the first uh, platinum record in gospel history. And I actually had the first four platinum records in uh, gospel history, and uh, that's what I got my Grammys for. And uh, you know, if you're not if you're not into in the gospel, then you don't even know it's there. So I had no idea yeah. there was even that interest industry there. And then I came kind of came back to uh, you know real real music uh, in the in the early 80s and i had a few number one country records and uh uh you know uh i've, ha I've had a good career uh you know I've, I've been very lucky i worked with some of the great writers of my generation barry mann and cynthia Weil, uh, who wrote you've lost that loving feeling and they wrote just can't help believing in a rock and roll lullaby for me and of course i worked with third back rack and hal david and mark james the guy that wrote suspicious minds wrote hooked on the feeling for me so I've been uh, I've been lucky. I'm worth uh, just Google me, you know. <laughs> yeah. What what an amazing career! Uh, how fortunate you are. Uh, 
how do you how do you stay married to the same woman for how many years? <laughs> Fifty. 52 years. Well, wow. I think the question is how did she stay, how did she <laughs> stay with me? Because, uh, uh, I, I put her through hell. I tell you, uh, there were years that I was, I was pretty, my life was pretty tough, but, uh, you know, she, uh, always, we never gave up on each other. She, we're still in love and, uh, and, uh, she helped me, uh, see myself for who I really was. And, and, uh, you know, we survived all that and we're still together, huh? Stand by your man. How, how, is, how has faith played a part in, you know, your recovery and, and your marriage and your life? Yeah, yeah, we do. We do have a, a faith. And, you know, I, I think we all need a faith in something. You know, we, uh, we're not religious people. Um, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not, never could really make religion work for me. And I'm not sure religion really works, but, uh, it does for some people, but, you know, we kind of go by, I kind of go by the golden rule. I mean, I try to treat people the way I'd like for them to treat me. And, uh, and, uh, and I live by, try to live by that principle. How important was it your wife standing, being by your side to overcome drugs and alcohol? Well, it was really, really the most important thing. And we had been separated a few times and uh, you know it got too much for both of us a time or two but uh she uh you know she basically had a had a spiritual awakening and uh, and uh and she helped me have the same awakening to to wow. the fact that uh, the you know the spiritual es essence of of everything is is the only is the only meaning that it really has and so we love we love the music uh, but that's, I, I can't just live off of record sales. And, uh, um, so she, she was a big part of that and, uh, I owe her everything. Mm -hmm. Wow. So you're celebrating 50 years of music, 50 years of marriage. What a life. How you feeling? You in good health? <laughs> I'm feeling really good. Yeah. I'm in great health. I mean, I know we're caught in this, uh, this crazy uh, thing here, but, uh, and we're having to, you know, try to concentrate. Uh, and, and go by the rules and get through that. But, uh, you know, I've had a great life. I've always, uh, you know, I'll, prob I'll probably pass away next week, but I, I've been, <laughs> I've always been in good shape and, um, and, um, I feel good. Uh, you know, I keep, uh, keep my head up. And that's uh, what I recommend for people is to keep your head up even when it gets tough. And, you know, this thing we're going through now is crazy. Uh, but, uh, we'll, we'll get through it like we always do. How tough if we if we follow some rules, you know? how tough is it for you for performing, not being able to perform in front of a crowd? Well, it, it is kind of tough, and I'm, I I kind of really stress on the stress on my band, and uh, along with worrying about my family and staying healthy. But you know, I, along with the burning desire you have to do music, it's the only way you can do it is if if you're just uh, totally all in on it. Uh, I really miss the road. I'm, I've been on the road, you know, since I was 15, and uh, so I, I'm I'm really looking forward to getting back to that when it's safe for everyone. Yeah, I'm curious how this all started. I mean, uh, how young were you when you picked up uh, a guitar or an instrument, or you started singing, and and uh, how did it all start? Well, we got you know they tell me I've I've always been a singer ever since I was a you know, an infant, you know, very young <laughs> that I always was singing, but I, uh, a group of 
my buddies, my brother's friends, I really didn't know them until I went to the first little rehearsal. We were all 15 years old and we got a band together called the Triumphs. And, uh, you know, we just dreamed of having a hit record one day and we knew we never were going to have one, but, uh, uh, we, we just wanted to do that music, have that, have that rock and roll band. And, uh, and that's how it got started. I met, I was, I was fortunate enough to meet Bobby Bland when I was a very young, a kid and um he was like a mentor to me and and mm-hmm. uh, um i loved him and we just uh hey we just started playing the we played out in the boondocks we played big dances teenage dances and uh you know we were too young to play nightclubs and things like that so we always just played the, the big uh, boondock dances out there in, uh, in the country and who were, uh, your, who were your heroes who were you listening to back in those I days was, my hero was a guy named Roy Head. He had a record called Treat a Right mm-hmm. uh, back, back in the day. I want to tell you a story. Dun, 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 dun. Every man ought to know. I don't know if oh, you remember that. Love but, that. Uh, but yeah. he, he's still my, uh, he's one of my best friends, but he was a big yeah, hero of mine, along with Bobby Bland and uh, Jackie Wilson mm-hmm. was uh, maybe my biggest inspiration. And, you know, I had a lot of guys I looked up to. Now, so that's very interesting, looking at the people you looked up to, all those different things. But you brought up a big break. You met the right person, right time. Is that part of life in a lot of ways, is just being open to opportunity and not a lot? Yeah, absolutely. I think if you keep your, you know, if you, I've just always been the kind of, uh, I've had my moments, but, you know, good things happen if you, if you if you're in the moment and you you keep your head up and uh, that's what you know I, of course I met Gloria uh, when she was uh, 17 and we got married when she turned 18 and that was always a good thing for me a big moment for me was I was about 13 years old something like that and I heard a Jackie Wilson record a song called To Be Loved and uh, it, it it was such an emotional song it opened my mind to the to the way that music could be so expressive and could be so emotional and important in how you felt and uh, and he sounded like he believed everything he was singing and so that i purposed at a when i at a very young age to to mean what i was singing and not just sing something uh for any other reason that that, that i connected with it personally and I kind of stood by that uh, criteria most of my career. So that's great. Yeah, you know, BJ, the industry has changed so much. Uh, the old rules don't apply anymore. What uh, advice do you give to new musicians who are thinking about jumping in? Yeah, well, I think uh, keep it personal. You know, if you're a songwriter, uh, write about write about yourself and what you're doing and what you feel, and then you don't ever have to try to get an idea anywhere else. You, you're already you have your, your own perspective. And I think it's very important. And I was very fortunate to, that this happened to me that I got in a band when I was 15. If you're starting, if you're just starting and you want to be a singer or a writer or something, performer, try, try to get in a band because then you learn how to hold your end up and you learn what it's like to be in a band and you learn what it's like to be in front of people. And uh, th- those two things will keep it personal and that'll, that'll take you a long way. <laughs> That's a device. Now, Dave has a final question, and it's involving caregiving. So, Dave, go ahead and ask that question. Yeah, you know, uh, I was just a normal guy for many, many years, and then uh, one day my wife complains about a headache, turns into a uh, stroke, 
loses her speech, becomes paralyzed on one side. And we, uh, we struggled for a couple of years, but we, we hung in there and now uh, we help other caregivers, you know, survive because many of them, 30% die before their loved ones do. Yeah. I wrote this book and um, just trying to help people, you know, not die, not, uh, you know, stay out of the hospital. I believe everyone is either going to become a caregiver or going to need a caregiver. Absolutely. Uh, no one, yeah. So, I you know, I started this website, caregiverdave.com, just to help caregivers to thrive and not just survive caregiving. Uh, how has it touched your life? You know, you have family members, parents, grandparents. Well, yeah, I mean, well, we're all getting yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are, there's always a time uh, th that will come earlier. Uh, years ago, so, uh, 15, 20 years ago, I kind of became a caretaker for my brother, Jerry, uh, who had, he was, had been a polio victim when he was young, but he survived it. But then, uh, you know, he got polio syndrome and he had certain surgeries and he used to, he lived with me for a, a few years. And I found out what it was like to, to care for somebody in that, in that way. And it's, you know, it's not easy. You really, you have to love someone uh, to, to kind of give them the care that they need. My wife has just had the bypass surgery last year. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was important for me to be there for her and to take care of her and look after her. So, you know, it comes up in your life. I'm sorry to hear about your wife, but you know that uh, those things happen. And uh, you, believe me, you really were rewarded for being there for somebody in that capacity. It's very meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah now, she's doing great. Yeah, she's still doing great, and they're traveling the country together, so it's a tremendous story. Oh, great. Yeah, beautiful. So, yeah, yeah, BJ, I'll have to check that out. Uh, great story. I will. Uh, now, projects for you, P BJ. What are the newest projects? You talk about celebrating raindrops keep falling on our head, but what else? Anything else? Well, um, uh, as I probably mentioned it, I had a, uh, I had a session scheduled. Uh, for the middle of July for a Muscle Shoals, uh, Alabama. And uh, Dan Penn and Billy uh, Lawson, great songwriters, uh, we were going in the studio and record and make some new music. And, uh, and uh, so that's, that's the next project I'm really looking forward to doing. I'm going to do the, go do my one-nighters and be with my band and things, but uh, I'm really looking forward to going in. We've got some really good songs and, uh, you know, that's going to be, that's going to be fun. We had to, of course, reschedule it, but we're all in on it as soon as we, as soon as it's safe to get out there. Okay. Yeah. BJ, great. Again, we wanted to thank you again for being on the show. I wanted to say, well, how are you celebrating BJ? Uh, raindrops keep falling on our head with the anniversary and stuff. What? Oh um, man, I'm always, I'm always celebrating, but I'm not, nothing big, nothing, nothing big. You know, we're just, uh, <laughs> Uh, we're enjoying being together. We've had some really good times, even though we've been quarantined. Uh, so we don't have any really big plans, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that the, when I go back, go back to performing, that we'll, people will be, we'll all be involved in, uh, in celebrating the song again. But, uh, you know, right, right now we're dealing with staying healthy. Exactly. And do you have a website, BJ? Yes, uh, bjthomas.com. BJThomas.com. And then we've got Facebook is the BJ Thomas. Uh, Facebook is the BJ Thomas. And Instagram is the same. So, All right. Well, fabulous. Thanks for stopping by. And no, no way you can get you a little bit of the note of raindrops keep falling on our head. Could you give us a Oh, sure. Okay. Raindrops are falling on my head. And just like the guy whose feet are too big for his bed.
and nothing seems to fit. Those raindrops are falling on my head, and they keep falling. Blah, 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 blah. All right. That was awesome. All right, BJ. Yeah, Dave. All right, Dave. All right, guys. That was the Haley Show, guys. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. brother. Celebrity Slots. Free spin. Free to play mobile social slot games in the likeness of your favorite celebrities. Making money. Spin to win celebrity experiences through sweepstakes. Free to download, free to play. Yeah, baby. What are you waiting for? Win meet and greets, celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download Celebrity Slots today. All right. All right. Hi, guys. How are you? We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Total Celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome the program. We're going to talk about one Chicago. I have Miranda Ray Mayo from Chicago Fire and Jesse Lee Soffer of Chicago PD. Guys, thanks for coming by. How are you? Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. We're, we're uh, excited to chat with you today again. Season finale. Let's go first with, with uh, Miranda. How excited are you about the season finale? I'm very excited. I'm very excited to see fans' reactions. I think that they are going to go nuts. I don't think that their reactions are, you know, going to be like joyful, happy-go-lucky, but it's going to be really fun and entertaining for me to um, watch. You know, it's like <laughs> tables are flipped, you know? Normally it's them, um, you know, really relishing in, in the pain on screen, and um, I think that's going to be me um, at the end of this. Um, <laughs> absolutely and let's go jesse uh, how about you and you always like when it's kind of like you guys are together as one right if chicago especially a season finale to have that you like that right uh yeah i mean although this year you know our, our uh we didn't do a big crossover uh for the finales we we uh we kind of all did our own thing um, like being part COVID of it wasn't be like being a team in so many ways all of you together oh of course yeah of course you know we we we, we're we're so fortunate we have we have this huge dick wolf universe to go and play in in chicago it's 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 amazing absolutely absolutely so what should we expect for you for the season finale so you can like uh the finale is going to be very intense for the fans just like miranda said i don't know that they're going to be happy some moments might make them really happy other moments they're going to be like what are you doing to me it's i i I think it's going to be a roller coaster ride um, you know, the team is very divided, uh, Burgess, um, something awful happens to Burgess and, uh, and we're all fighting to get her back. And the way we go about doing it is going to be very different. There's, there's going to be a few members of the team on this side, a few members on this side, and, uh, and it's going to be a huge conflict. And I, and it's, it's kind of one of the first times there's, there's a, a crack in the unit, uh, and I, I don't know if the, the fans are going to be stressed out. That's what I think in a good way. Oh, we'll see. But that's good. Then it keeps them going. And, and that's the fun thing about it, right, Miranda, is you constantly see your fans each season just wanting more and more, right? And then say, oh, my gosh, that season finale. Now I got to wait to next year, you know, next season. And that's the kind of a show that keeps going on and on to be a part of it. It's amazing. 
1000%. It's a very like toxic relationship. You know what I'm saying? Like if, like if my fans and our fans, if the fans were a person and then like <laughs> the one Chicago universe was a person, it would be, you know, like we keep hurting really them, toxic. but they keep coming back. Exactly. <laughs> That's what shows are supposed to do, right? Now you're maniacally laughing. Exactly. If you don't, you don't, you don't entertain your fans, they don't come back, and then you don't get renewed. Bottom line. So there you go. And if you don't make it so that you can't wait to watch next week, and the competition factors fierce in this industry now, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a toxic relationship. I think she said it right. Oh, you like that one. You like that one. And then, and, and Jesse, I guess, what would you say to your fans right now, why they should tune into the season finale? Uh, because it, it is, it's a roller coaster. It's, it's going to be so, um, so intense. It's scary. Uh, Marina Squirchotti kills it. She does an incredible job in this episode and everybody does. There's performances. Uh, Ruzek and Atwater have such a conflict. Uh, Halston and Boyd are going at it. Halston and Upton have uh, this huge cliffhanger at the end. Um, and uh, Tracy Spiridakis has this amazing moment. She killed this scene that we did. Uh, so emotional and heartfelt. And um, it, it's just, it's, it's got everything. The episode's going to be really entertaining. Fantastic. And that's what I think the exciting part about it is, guys, is everyone needs to tune in. May 26, 9 p.m. Eastern. Everyone needs to tune into the episode. And one more thing, Miranda, what do you want to say to your fans why they should tune in as well? Oh, my gosh. I mean, listen, it may be a toxic relationship, but, like, it's going to be so much fun. Like like a roller coaster. You know what I mean? It's the stress. It's the stress going up, going up. And then you go, you go down. It's amazing. And you run and you get back in line for more. It's going to be great. <laughs> You know, and what, what I hate, guys, is if we tell anything, everyone goes back and binge watches. We all binge watch. That's all we do nowadays because of COVID or in our schedules. We don't we never find the time of the day. Go back. But everyone needs to tune this tune in this live. But then catch up to all the other episodes at NBC.com. Right. Catch up to the whole season. Absolutely. Ready, Absolutely. Start from the beginning. Exactly. Well, I appreciate you guys stopping by. Thanks again. And take care. Thank, Thank you. you. All right, you're welcome. You're welcome. You're listening to the Neil Haley Show. I'm watching the Neil Haley Show. And we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show, and I'm excited to welcome the program author and podcaster Elka Scholes. Elka, how are you? Anxiety Warrior Podcast, Anxiety Warrior Book. How are things going? Pretty good right now, Neil. Thank you. You've begun that journey like over 2 million podcasters all over the world, which is not a really a huge number that you decided to do a podcast. You came on my show uh, again, like a, a month ago to promote the podcast launched. It has launched five episodes are in more to come. And what have you learned in this process of doing a podcast? Well, a few things. I mean, I've always enjoyed radio. I've, um, I've done radio and interviews probably for over 30 years and I quite enjoy them uh, I find them more relaxing and what I really like is when we pre-record that if I do stutter or forget something <laughs> that we can just pause and um, and edit so that that tends to make me relax more and so that that's been a learning 
the other thing that also I've learned is um, I know I've been asked to do a podcast for years and I've always shied away from it. Um, so it's what I enjoy is that you've done the technical part um, because that's just over the top for me. So, so that, that's been fun. And so you've again done so many radio interviews. What, how do you, especially being someone who helps people with anxiety, how do you prepare for those interviews? So you make sure that uh, you don't get anxious because you did suffer from anxiety disorder at one point in time. Oh, I still have anxiety. So yeah, that's so how do you able to, <laughs> um, I just your- don't have it as much or as intense for sure. Well, what I do and you know, Neil, that's a great question because right now, if you could see me, I've got some, um, my table just full of my notes and so I'm ready. And I, I have a file folder that has a different topics so that, um, that I'm ready. And, and it's not that I don't know the topics. It's just that sometimes uh, for me, if I'm caught um, uh, unawares, and, and I know you think, oh, well, you know, it's a radio show that people are going to ask you questions. But um, it's just that sometimes my mind still goes blank. And when I have these sheets in front of me, it just gives me confidence and helps me relax. And uh, most of the time I, I, I barely look at them. However, I know they're there. And, um, and, and also it depends on the show. So if people have certain topics they want me to cover, I definitely make a, a few little um, uh, cheat sheets or little notes ahead of time, just, just to spur my memory. Yeah. And that's interesting. You're prepared because you never know what question I'm going to ask. Right. So, and that's a great tip, you know, to have information down pat, especially if you're going, if you're nervous as a public speaker and you don't want to go speak in front of audiences. So, cause Elka, even though a lot of people might not have anxiety when it comes to public speaking, they do. Uh, so kind of, uh, explain that to people that that suffer from this how the more confident you get the more prepared you are well the other thing neil what i've noticed too is when when and i've noticed this with other speakers because i listen to other people as well and um so what i've noticed is when you're passionate about something and you know, I never dreamed that I would be public speaking. I never thought that I would be, um, you know, doing radio and TV and podcasts and things like that. And because I'm, I tend, while well, I'm an introvert, I, I'm happy just to be in my garden in my pond. <laughs> um, so though my passion, because I feel so strongly about these strategies, because I feel you know, that I want to help people and I want to get this message out there, that passion uh, supersedes any nervousness. And, um, you know, if I stutter a bit or switch my words, uh, it doesn't matter. People, I think people understand. And sometimes when I've done public talks, I've actually said, you know, I might do that, but let's roll with it. We can have a little giggle and carry on. And, um, yeah, so so it's okay, and and I think um, if you're not passionate about something, and um, 
you know, you just want to jazz it up. It just doesn't really come across. So I, if we just follow your passion. Okay. Yeah. We'll, uh, you know, just keep following our passion. Such a great uh, point that you make. And I just think of public speaking, even myself, who's done over 8,000 plus interviews or seven plus thousand interviews or more. I've lost track in my, yeah, in my career. If I go in radio and and TV, if I go ahead and try to speak in front of an audience, not on Clubhouse, because that counts, I've gotten a lot of uh, opportunities of 75 to 100 people I'm speaking in front of there where I know they're there, but where they're physical people looking at you. It's a little nerve wracking at first. I've gotten better, but I've only done about seven talks. So what do you tell people the difference of like doing a radio interview versus when you're in front of people and you know what they're thinking while you're speaking? Well, that's that, you know what, that's a really great question. And I, I love it actually, because I've talked, I've done a lot of book talks. I've done a lot of public speaking. And one of the things that helps me out is um, arriving early. So much earlier, getting to know some of the people as you're setting up and definitely getting to know a little bit about your audience. So if your audience is from, you know, um, like a green living show or is your audience um, like we have pro um, probus clubs. So there are senior citizens, uh, you know, what, what's your audience and, um, and just get to know a few people. So then what I do is when I get up, I'm already have connected with a few people. I, I notice where they are and, um, and they're usually smiling at you because they've met you. <laughs> so then, and then, you know, the other fun thing is, is just keep, watch your audience, always keep looking at them because they're going to tell you if they're interested or not. And uh, if they start shuffling in their seats or, you know, um, falling asleep or yawning or anything like that, then you just want to, you know, either jazz it up or wrap it up. So, um, yeah, and that's okay. It's okay. Exactly. I love it. Jazz it up or wrap it up. And (laughs) so you'll find out, Elka, this is another area you can help people at, is if you're dealing with what you're dealing with in anxiety, there are so many people that do not want to public speak. Hmm. They just don't want to at all. Well, so I never thought we'd go to this conversation, but this is an interesting conversation. But okay. there are a lot of people that cannot want, do not want to public speak, yet they're very, you know, they don't have anxiety. They just have anxiety when it comes to this. Yeah, and, and the other other thing to think about is is start small. So maybe start at your church group or start at perhaps um, a smaller group and, and um, you know, like maybe a ladies group or a luncheon group or a meet and greet where the numbers are really small. So that you might have like five people or 10 people um, maybe start with people that, you know, and practice. And um, you know, when I started wanting to get this message out there, I thought about my community and I thought, how can I do some of these talks? So I approached the school and uh, one of the first ones I did were, was for a parent teacher meeting. And I already knew some of the teachers. I knew some of the parents and, and again, it was still a small group. So then it becomes a little more conversational 
and you're talking to a group of friends and um, you know, it, being prepared to and having, um, you know, whether your handouts or some points that you want to make makes a big difference. Such, so, so true. All right. So tell, so we talked about the podcast. Uh, tell us what's, you know, basically going on with you. Any other projects you have going on right now? Well, <laughs> the, um, it definitely, um, the podcast is probably number one right now. And then the other is um, I do regular radio and getting ready for some TV interviews. So I'm doing that. Um, and then of course, writing articles, uh, any way I can. It's, Neil, it's my passion to help people. And um, when I struggled, I struggled so long with anxiety. I didn't even know what it was, except that I, I just knew I really didn't feel very good. And, um, and it really, I don't think it was necessary. Um, and I know that we talk about it a little bit more in our culture now, which is super great. Uh, we didn't when I was growing up and um, the strategies, they're, they're simple, they're accessible. Uh, they're things that you can do right away. And, and that's just really important. And I think we can do a lot to lower our stress level, our anxiety level uh, on our own, or even with our families or with friends um, before we need to um, we may not ever need to uh, use coaching or therapy services. So that's my passion. <laughs> Excellent. Well, it's a great passion for sure. And uh, we can go to anxietywarrior.ca right now to check you out and check out all the information you have and learn more about Anxiety Warrior by searching Anxiety Warrior podcast that is available on all different platforms. So I appreciate you stopping by. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity, Neil. You're welcome. You're listening to Neil Haley's show. And we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Rob Roselli show. And I'm excited to welcome to program Rob Roselli. Rob, what's going on, man? How are you? Hey, Neil. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me again. So what do you want to chat about this week? What is new after last week? You blew me away with all the news that's coming out. And it just continues. Well, there's a lot going on in the world right now. And I'd say the biggest thing is this whole thing, this whole mess with this so-called Dr. Fauci, the self-proclaimed sociopath slash expert on the coronavirus. Now, this whole thing, I've mentioned this in the past couple of shows, this whole thing stinks. This guy was apparently indirectly funding the Wuhan lab over there in China as well as providing some expertise on gain of function, uh, which means adapting viruses to attack humans. So you, you got this American scientist helping a Chinese biological weapons lab do research. The whole thing sticks to high heaven. And now it's coming out more and more. And now remember they all, all the news media and everybody was calling was mocking Donald Trump and anybody that questioned the, the unnatural origin of this virus, conspiracy theorists, conspiracy kooks, whatever you want to call it. And now all these so-called mainstream media are eating their words. And Fox News, to its credit, Tucker Carlson seems to be the one that's feeding the, 
leading a charge against Dr. Fauci. I just find it extremely disturbing that we have the same pattern as with the AIDS virus that's covered in my book, The Un-American Genocidal Complex. You have the same cast of characters, the World Health Organization, the CDC, the NIH, and people associated with those organizations right in the middle of all these lies about about a virus and then coming in with a vaccine as a cure. Now, in the case of the AIDS virus, the the disease or the diseases in, in Africa were smallpox amongst the African population and hepatitis B amongst the American homosexual population. And the cure was the vaccine, which carried the AIDS virus in it, okay? Which makes things, if you follow that pattern, it makes things really disturbing when you look at it. You have this unnatural virus. In this case, the virus itself is unnatural, but the cure is the vaccine, according to the WHO and Dr. Fauci. And we've all seen these commercials. Listen to Dr. Fauci and get your vaccine. Be a good little citizen and go out and get your vaccine. But the vaccine itself may be the killer in this case, as the human guinea pigs. It's essentially a human Humans are the trial. I mean, these, these vaccines were never really approved. They were, they were issued under emergency authorization, which means they were never really fully tested. Okay, and according to some articles that I've read, that the animal testing on these vaccines, what animal testing was done, was shut down because all the animals were dying. So we've got a real problem on our hands. This is, this to me, when you look at the pattern, this is the un-American genocidal complex at, at play here. And of course, the World Health Organization is right in the middle of it, just like with the AIDS virus. Now, supposedly they did some kind of investigation into the Wuhan lab, but it was an investigation that lasted only oh three hours. And then they decided that, no, that, that didn't, didn't come from there. So they're covering for China. And then it turns out that the Trump administration was doing an investigation into the Wuhan lab, and then the Biden administration came in and shut the shut the investigation down, claiming there was no credible there's no credible evidence. Yeah. So the whole thing the whole thing stinks to high heaven, Neil, and it's really it's really disturbing when you. When you so you're thinking and you look at the States, this was a worldwide plan by the United States to to get rid of Trump. Yeah, I mean, that's part of it. That's certainly part of it. I mean, in addition to all the vote, until about cheating with all the votes that's coming out with these audits all over the country, that the virus got helped get rid of Trump. I mean, you know, you just, you let the virus, you let it come into the country. Remember, Nancy Pelosi was on there. Ah, don't worry about it. Go to Chinatown, you know, celebrate. And all these other people weren't worrying about it. And Trump is the one that stopped all the international flights from China before they could, before the infection can get even worse. I mean, he stopped it early, but it's still enough of it had escaped to still make it an impact on the election. So certainly the plan was to let the virus come in and then blame the effects on Trump, which makes these people a bunch of sociopaths and psychopaths to let a deadly virus come into the country just for political gain. It's really, 
it's really disturbing. We shouldn't be surprised. I mean, these are the people that support partial birth abortion and, and really, which is really post-birth abortion at this point. I mean, these, these people are bloodthirsty psychopaths. I mean, they, they really are. And I'm talking about the, you know, the face of the conspiracy, the Pelosi's, the Schumer's, these kinds of people. Yeah, but what about now? Like the world's back to normal in the United States and the rest of the world's still thinking there's a virus and the United States is done. It's over. United States. What was, what was your question, Neil? Well, the United States is opening up everything now without any proof that everything's okay. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a decision. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know what to say on that because the virus is not as, it's not as fatal, it's not as dangerous as they're saying. I mean, right. you're running into more issues, mental health issues, and these types of things with with the lockdown. So, opening things up isn't the worst thing in the world, but the the virus itself, although it has killed, I don't know, I don't know the numbers, tens of thousands of people, but on a percentage basis, it's not that bad um, as far as people that are being infected. So, you know, opening things up may not be the worst thing in the world, but the fact of the matter is we have to figure out where this virus came from and who's responsible and make sure that the people that are responsible are brought to justice. Because this, this, it's a fake virus. Okay, it was invented in the lab, it was funded by the United States under the auspices of doc, quote, Dr. Fauci, and was brought to the United States on purpose. So that, that's what needs to be investigated and get to the origins of the whole thing. But under the Biden administration, as I mentioned previously, they shut down the invest, investigation or the United States investigation into the Wuhan lab theory, citing a lack of evidence. So Biden's obviously in bed with the Chinese, as is his son. So basically, the Chinese are sitting there, and the Chinese are very patient. They're sitting there and watching us, watching this nation implode on itself. And we're doing a good job of of imploding. So we're talking yes, about so, so, but I mean, jump. like I'm, what I'm saying is that the rest of the world still sees this virus. We don't. Biden's a hero. And then that just, just totally loses every credibility. Now we could go back to normal in human life. That's what's happening. And, you know, only people that got vaccinated. Well, the people that got vaccinated might have a problem on their hands. You have these mRNA vaccines that you're injecting. You just got injected with and Nobody knows the really true effects of this. Because as I mentioned, it was never really, it was never really fully tested. You never had a, you never had sh- human trials. I mean, it was rushed out into the, rushed out into the public. And you know, Trump was touting these vaccines as one of his successes. And I don't know. I don't know. That might be that might have been a mistake on his point on his part. As the effects of these vaccines becomes apparent over the next, you know, over the next months and years. I mean, I keep coming across reports of people dying or people becoming physically debilitated after these vaccines. 
this may be a case where the, the cure is worse than a disease. And like I said, if the AIDS virus has a precedent, that may, that may not be an accident. All right, boxofsunglasses.com for more information, right, Rob? Yeah, boxofsunglasses.com. Don't forget the most important thing is the world continues to go crazy. And maybe next week we can talk about the imploding economy. Uh, boxofsunglasses.com, God's simple salvation plan. And, you know, Jesus Christ really is the answer. I mean, if you're relying on any, any other, anybody else, any other politician, including Donald Trump, then you, then you really got issues. I mean, this is, this is it. I think we're coming up to the end game here with, the, with all the, everything that's going on. It's not being reported in the so-called mainstream news, but yes, boxersunglasses.com, God's simple salvation plan. And we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next week. All right, Rob. Thanks for stopping by. All right, Neil. Take care. All right. That was the Robert Sully show guy. Take care. We're back here to the Neil Haley Show. I'm excited to welcome program. Andrew Shack and Andrew Shack. And what's up, bud? Okay, this is it. Uh, that I am, as you guys know, or you may not know, or you may not care. It's possibility. I have an MDiv degree in theology from Princeton, and um, I am I have functioned as a Lutheran pastor, and I'm actually I'm now possibly continuing that. Uh, what I'm going to talk about today is something called sonship. Uh, now, these are these are concepts that uh, many people don't know about, whether they're in the church or anything else, or they don't care. Uh, mainly, that is the problem today, Neil, that people don't care about anything but themselves. I think so. Anyway, yeah. I want to talk about sonship. Uh, Paul talks about sonships, and he says that we are supposed to, we have in, 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 in his letter to the Galatians, he, he speaks about it. In, in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, he says that we are going to be conformed to the image of his son. In the letter to the Galatians, he says we will be sons of Christ. What does he mean by that? What he means is, I think, this is a very important concept for Christianity and for Christian people, or for anybody, I guess. He says we have to be grafted or become part of Jesus. He, he says that in that sense, we will be sons. What he means here, we are destined to be eternal beings, adopted into the image of Christ. That's what he means by sonship and adoption being conformed and transformed. He talks about it in Galatians. He talks about it in Romans. Ladies and gentlemen, think about it. Jesus is saying that he wants people to be attached to him, to be part of him. That's why he calls them sons and being made into sons and part of him. That is what he says is the Christian faith. You're not like Tolstoy, is he? Is he? No, not at all. Tolstoy no. says, just love one another, and that's enough. I don't know who's right. Who knows? But, exactly. but the, the, Paul says that we have to be grafted into Christ and become part of him in some way, of his being. He calls it sonship. Think about it. 
It's in, it's in, uh, you can find it in my book, uh, Essays in the, Essays on Faith, Culture, Politics, and Philosophy, in a chapter on sonship. Take a look at it and think about what it says. And also think about, I, I gave a talk, uh, ladies and gentlemen, on the, on the author of Tolstoy. I love Tolstoy. I'm a big fan of Tolstoy. And Tolstoy said the Christianity was just loving your neighbor, and that's it. He may have been right. I don't know. Who knows? Who's right, who's wrong? All you got to do is listen to people and try to figure out what they're saying. Okay, shackandshow.com for more information. Take care, Andrew, and uh, thanks for stopping by. It's okay. Good enough. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.